0: Hello and welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast for people who are curious about how to have a more fulfilling work life. We live in a world largely driven by numbers, logic and reason, but how we feel at work and about our work impacts us, our organizations and society. There is a relationship between the numbers of our organizations, the life beyond the numbers. I'm Susan Michredon, your host. I've lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't, people who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. But one thing that I've learned that is common to us all is that we are all unique and have unique experiences. And it's helpful to know that there are others who think like we do had struggles too, or have gone where we want to go, or can show us things we didn't know. So join me and my guests as we place a lens on the human side of work life by sharing
1: delighted to welcome Robin Harris to Life Beyond the Numbers. Robin, you're so welcome.
2: Thank you so much. I'm so, so excited
1: to be here. That's great. And it was a previous guest, Caroline Payton, who is a nutritionist, who was on, oh, I think episode 56 or something. So quite a while ago, who introduced Robin and I, and she reckoned we'd have a great conversation. So let's see.
2: (laughs) But thank you, Caroline.
1: And so, Robin, I loved reading through your website and loads of things struck me and we will come to many of them hopefully today. But something that just jumped out, and I think it's because I maybe never thought about it like this before, but you say, or you ask, did you know that the body doesn't make mistakes?
2: So explain, please. It's part of one of the things that I do, and it's part of, therefore, what I have learned. But I think it's to come back against the kind of paradigm of typical Western medicine and the way that we look at health, that the body's going wrong. And just notice it in things that people say to you, oh, what's wrong? What's wrong with you? Or we say, what's gone wrong with me? What is wrong with me? You go to the doctor, tell me what's wrong. So we have this sense that when we have symptoms, it's because something's gone wrong, like making a mistake or that the body is failing us. And we say that as well, his health is failing. So we have all of this language around health and well-being. And I think this is sort of coming back against that and saying, that's not what's happening. In everything that's going on inside of you, your body's just trying to do what it feels it needs to do in order to feel safe. Just unfortunately, sometimes those beliefs around what it has to do are made in moments of trauma, in moments of fight or flight. And we're not making the most balanced choices and decisions from that place. And also, I say it's kind of like a spare tire some cars have a tire that is or a wheel that you put on when you get a flat that's only meant to take you to the next garage it's not meant to drive you around for the next 100 500 miles it's only a stopgap, and that's what decisions made in fight or flight and changes in our behavior that happen at that time that's what they're meant to do they're meant to get us through that period of stress and then we should really be pausing reevaluating, processing what's happened and then moving on and emotions being energy in motion but they get stuck and this is where we have issues challenges i i'm very very conscious of language so i don't want to call them problems i don't want to call them mistakes or something going wrong but basically that's what that's all about and to help us realize that we don't need to be afraid
1: that sounds really simple
2: (laughs) but the simple is the is the real crux of it it's it's bringing it down to where it is simple and it is just that's what we need to do and although sometimes like you, you kind of reaction it's too simple it can't be right it's so simple but actually that's where the truth is we complicate it we add lots of layers and expectations i say this quite often as well we feel that our problems challenges are big and complex and painful therefore the solutions must be big and complex and painful whereas in actual fact it's often our mind getting in the way and our ego getting in the way whereas It's actually quite simple and the solutions certainly are simple. And if we can understand that the solutions are simple, we'll be, I think, more likely to take the action because it doesn't feel so big. It doesn't feel so scary and overwhelming. And also we know instinctively the simple. It it resonates for us and we love it, but then we overcomplicate it because we bring our mind in and our mind saying it can't possibly be that simple and that can't work. But as a friend of mine says, never dismiss the little things. So true, isn't it?
1: Mm-hmm. So true. We tend to overlook the little things or ignore them. But yeah, there's no need. But are we shouldn't? And I, I don't like to use that word. Should
2: we start to lose? you know, evaluate every single word that comes out of your mouth, don't you? Yeah, but sometimes it's okay. It's
1: not that the word needs to go, it just needs to be used in the right way. So back to some of the things you said there, because you said, you know, if you go to the doctor, you think, you know, there's something wrong or there's something that needs to be fixed or whatever. So if I want to think that my body isn't making a mistake, because I can kind of get my head around that, what language would be more helpful or capture what's going on in a better way perhaps
2: i think it's changing the paradigm completely coming at it from a whole different perspective so for me when we have symptoms most of those symptoms pain stiffness sickness like the cold and flu symptoms they come when the body's healing we think they're the body going wrong and something not right. But actually, it's like you'll have noticed, I'm sure, and most people will have noticed that we often get flus and sicknesses when we stop. So when I was a child, you know, all the childhood diseases, chicken pox, German measles, I had them in the holidays. Easter holiday for German measles, summer holiday for chicken pox. So it, it's quite well known and people will know that the sort of flu season is over Christmas and stuff because again we've stopped we've been working really hard so period of stress when we stop quite often that's when we get sick and that is because the body's been holding all of that stress and, and then suddenly we can let it go and that's when the body goes oh thank goodness at least now I can process this stuff I can get it out which is what's happening if you think of colds and flus and you're coughing and sp- you're getting it out and the pain the aches and the pains it's like when you go to the gym you lift weights if you know doing that kind of exercise to which are slightly beyond what is comfortable so you're pushing your body you're breaking the muscle fibers so that they rebuild stronger but you get that ache because that's the body repairing And it's the same way when we've got the aches and pains in flu and stuff. It's the body going, I've been holding all this stress and now I can let it go. But Mm. those symptoms that we think are the going wrong are actually just the repair. So the underlying cause is
1: really the fact that I'm run down or I'm stressed or I've taken on too much or something like that. Or I exercise too vigorously or whatever it is. And then that's the symptom is showing, it's, it's almost saying, I've got you, your body telling you I've got you and I'm helping you get better again.
2: Let's go back and go through this again, but something will happen that pushes us into stress, into that fight or flight. And all the way through that phase, the body is making adjustments to try and keep itself safe. So that's the stress phase. And then when we come out of stress, the body is undoing all of those adjustments that it made because it always wants to be in balance. The initial adjustments took it out of balance. It, it kind of extended itself in one direction. So then it needs to pull back to get back to balance. And that's the releasing. And it's interesting that you say about the body kind of going, yeah, okay, we can let go of this now and so There is a, a biological process for this stress well-being and the learning the body is offering us learning that's what the illness actually is it's the ability to process and take on board the learning and to grow from it like the muscles take on board the learning from the gym and they grow and they get stronger so we grow and we get stronger and this has been documented in kids with autism that if they have an illness that in particularly if there's a fever and they're very poorly, they will have a sudden shift when they come out of that. And you'll notice that they've moved forward. They've taken a leap forward. So just like a kid is getting their learning through being sick, so do we. And maybe it's not the same childhood milestones that you see kids moving forward with, but it's maybe more inner learning. We're learning more about who we are, what our strengths and our resilience levels and our capacity and all of those sorts of things. We're learning those through being ill. Even
1: if we don't realise it. Yeah, because that's the thing. I suppose I would never think about an illness being a learning experience. I had covid (laughs) earlier this year and was quite knocked out with it and it's funny because at the time I knew I needed a rest and I kind of felt that Covid was my enforced rest and perhaps that was a learning that maybe I needed to make consciously and not just subconsciously but it's a fascinating way of thinking about it because it... It almost makes you want to welcome illness so that you can have that growth and repair and learning. But I also don't want to get into the state where I need it perhaps. So there's a bit of a tension maybe between them.
2: Absolutely, and and who wants to be sick? But the thing is that if we do get sick, we can embrace it knowing that it's happening for a reason. There's a biological purpose to the fact that we've got sick and it's not to say that we have to get sick in order to learn because as Deepak Chopra has been posting recently about changing the approach to well-being and if we can have more consciousness about it so if we are living consciously anyway we're not getting into stress so we're having our learning consciously and maybe not ending up being ill at all because we're not having to undo any stress. So it's not that we have to get sick, but if we do, there's a purpose behind it. And so often we resist, we push back against sickness years ago, we talked about convalescence and people would go away to the seaside to get some air, but we don't say we get the flu over Christmas and we're starting to recover by new year and we're due to go back into the office or whatever if whatever we're doing these days if we're office based or just hybrid working but we will push ourselves to get back because we'll think oh my inbox is going to be so full and the boss will be expecting me back and all of these things when we're not ready and which means that we're pushing our body back into stress which means that we've taken a step back in the whole process and the body still hasn't gone through that So, yes, it's like the learning you said from COVID, your body was saying stop. And there's the thing of if you don't make time for your well-being, you're going to have to make time for your illness.
1: Absolutely. Like, absolutely. And all I was thinking about there as well, it's kind of like filling your tank, isn't it, for Mm -hmm. going on a journey. And if you know you're going to need a full tank to take you 500 miles and you set out with enough for 400 miles then you're just not going to make it no.
2: and also to know that if you are driving around in a car what do we do we refuel we change the oil we check the tires we put water in we take it for an mot every year even our phones we charge them up probably every night what about this being that we live in do we put in healthy fuel probably not all of the time and that's not to say we have to only eat the healthy foods 80 20 rule so a little bit of chocolate it's nice now and again but we benefit from taking better care of ourselves Mm. including
1: sleep i would imagine oh yeah yeah
2: Yeah. i recently read matthew walker's book why we sleep
1: i haven't read it yet but
2: yeah oh i highly recommend it It just opens your eyes on all that sleep does. Because I just used to think, well, it's rest. It recharges my battery for tomorrow. It's so much more than that.
1: I've always been a massive sleeper. (laughs) I kind of, I think, you know, like you said earlier, that we know the simple solution. We have that intuition sometimes of what it is. And I think I just always knew how important sleep was to me, and, yeah. and and I probably just thought to me, I I didn't know it was for everybody. You know what I mean? But
0: yeah.
1: I I don't work well. Unless sleep. I just don't. And and I really feel the impact of it. And I guess that's probably from however many years of being so habitual about it as well. But I go to bed at the same time, get up at the same time. And yeah, sleep is one of those things that well, it restores us and it does so much more. And I must read that book. Yeah, do. <laughs> and so that I mean, we've talked a little bit about well-being, we've talked a lot about the body, but You've been described as a well-being alchemist and now I'm beginning to see why. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, what does it mean to be a well-being alchemist?
2: The person who said that to me, she had done my human design, so there's stuff in there about my makeup, but also she was saying that apparently one of my talent skills strengths is that I bring a unique perspective and I'm very much into intuition and listening to those little signals so I would talk to somebody about where they are and be able to put things together in ways that other people might not have done or they just haven't seen those connections you know how it is sometimes you can see the dots but I'm not quite sure how to join them up so I come in and I join them up in a particular way that quite often people have that light bulb penny drop moment ah that's why xyz and then once we get an understanding of that we can take action on it because we can see how it, how it all fits together but
1: again back to not but but
2: not but but the,
1: the simple you know because sometimes are we looking for it to be a more complex or complicated but probably complex solution as opposed to simple and I'm not trying to take away from what you're doing at all but we, we sometimes don't see what's right in front of us we don't see the wood for the
2: trees so to speak absolutely and I'm very much of the belief that a healer, whatever you want to call the practitioner, what they do is hold space. Yeah. We don't actually do the healing. We don't change anything for the other person. We might share concepts, ideas, shine a light on things that they haven't looked at before or join the dots that they haven't seen before. But we're not doing anything for them. They are doing it. And for me, that's so important because I describe myself as a mentor rather than any of the other terms that coaching and stuff that people sometimes use, because I want for myself as well to be conscious that all I'm doing is holding that space. But the answers are the person's own unique answers because that was very much my own journey. I was feeling stuck and turning to ask for help because <laughs> I got myself into that position where I thought, oh, well, this is wrong and that's wrong. And this person needs to be different. And that, you know, pointing, pointing, pointing. But my mom always used to say, if you look at the point, you've got three fingers coming back to you. (laughs) (laughs) I think I was pointing, looking for things outside. And then somebody I think said to me something and it didn't really twig, which is why I can't really remember. But you know those things that kind of... They plant a seed and then later you go, oh, that's what they meant. But something about... But you can't find the answers out there. The answers aren't out there. The answers are inside. And until you look inside and find your own answers, answers that you have from outside won't work. And I'm not sure if I can remember the quote, but there's... He who's convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. (gasps) So you can talk to somebody and tell them something and they might kind of all come along with you, but it won't stick because it wasn't theirs. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: It's like when you're asked for advice and you give it in, in good faith and all of that. And then the person just doesn't go on and do it. And you're like, what the hell happened there? But of course it wasn't their answer. It was what you would do in that situation or what I would do in that situation. And They haven't been convinced because they have to come up with their own answer.
2: And although we're giving the best that we can and we're giving from our own experience and what worked for us, we haven't walked in their shoes.
1: No, no. And I suppose the thing is, when you say to somebody that the answers are inside of you, how do we explain that? How can how can you explain that in a way that because it just it doesn't make sense in one way and then it makes perfect sense in another way, okay? And and it and they're like a big void then between those two. So if somebody is going, what the hell are those two talking about? The answers are inside of me. I can't find them. I don't know where they
2: are. Where do I start? For me, it was my wild acronym. So I was on that journey, like I say, I was pointing fingers and saying all of these things had to change. And I think it was almost to prove that it wouldn't work, I decided I would go down the conventional route. So I went to the doctor and asked for medication. That was a big, (laughs) fell flat on its face, that one. I went to a counsellor and basically it was the type of counselling where I just talked about how I was feeling. So I was creating the same situation same energy and it was cycling it wasn't moving forward at all so neither of those worked for me and I thought what on earth am I going to do so I started reading and luckily I you know when the student is ready the teacher appears and I just came across some amazing writers and over the years these have included Gabor Mate, Brene Brown, Bessel van der Kolk, Matthew Walker now um Abraham Hicks, Neil Donald Walsh, Andrew Cohen, lots of different authors with lots of wonderful perspectives. And some of the things that really, really struck me, though, I haven't read a lot of their full works, but Wayne Dyer's When You Change the Way You Look at Things, the Things You Look at Change, Bruce Lipton, The Moment You Change the Way You Look at Something, the Whole of Your Body Chemistry Changes, and the whole epigenetics. That was huge for me. So... I then went off on an exploration, what is, what is me? What is right for me? Because I realized I had given all of that away. I'd given away my power. I'd given away my knowledge of who I was. So I went off to try and find what that was. And my mum found a therapist who I went to see for a while. And she said once, well, what is it that you like doing? What do you enjoy? And I was in such a miserable place. I just wanted to say nothing. But from somewhere deep inside, you know, when you just ask that question and it just comes at the right time. And I just said, nature. (laughs) Where did that come from? So she said, right, go home and transform your garden into a wildlife garden. And I thought, well, that's never going to happen because my (laughs) husband had said, you don't touch my garden. That's the place where he and his son played kickabout." But his son had got so big that that space was too small so we did we transformed it and nature taught me so much through that whole process about seasons about allowing things rather than forcing things and so much more and it brought me towards my wild acronym which also is wild so it connects with nature and it was learning to see things with childlike eyes of wonder so andrew cohen he wrote a book evolution enlightenment and that became a nine-month program which i attended and they talked about beginner's mind how can you look at the world always through beginner's mind and not the cynicism and everything that as adults we've so often developed so w for wonder i for intuition so starting to listen to trust and follow and the more we do that the stronger it gets our voice of inner intuition l for love loving ourselves as we are but also as we are not because we're so often our own worst critic and we've taken on board all of these voices I know I certainly had that weren't very loving of ourselves they're not ours we can let them go once we recognize that that's a voice and it's not ours so appreciating who we are but also allowing that we're not the things that we've been told that we should be or that we see in other people that we want. But also when you see something in somebody else that you don't like, everybody says, oh, well, you don't like it because it's in you and it's pressing your buttons. Equally, if you see something in another person that you love, that's pressing the buttons that you have too. So you have that. So if you see something that you admire in somebody else, it's within you. You just then can explore and see if you can... that out more d is dance dance with life because i realized that i take life far too seriously as i said if i could see life as a dance where it's fun it can flow the tempo can change the direction can change it can feel like one step forward two steps back and it can sometimes feel overwhelmingly fast sometimes it feels like come on i want to move forward a little bit faster but i love to dance i love mute i love movement to music so bringing all of that together and seeing that's what life is life is meant to be fun as neil donald walsh talked about enjoy enjoy with an e means in joy bringing joy in it's our choice we always get to choose how we feel or the feelings and the thoughts and the beliefs that we want to engage with other things will come up but it's like the native american story of the two wolves which do you want to feed do you want to feed the stuff that lifts you up or do you want to feed the stuff that just feels dark and depressing and not uplifting so that that was my wild that was what i wow and, I, okay what's interesting
1: there i mean there's so much interesting but one of the things was that this person you went to see did tell you to do something so they gave you advice or they gave you an answer in a way or
2: they it, gave me something to use what i give them
1: okay so yes so the and the nature came from you and then that's a suggestion from then if this is what you want or is in you then do something like this?
2: It's that thing of find what makes your heart sing and follow that. So she somehow managed to connect with what it was that made my heart sing, even though at the time I had no idea, didn't think there was anything, but she somehow just at the right time popped the right question and that came out. And then she kind of gave me permission, encouragement and permission that that was okay to do that. I think I, I took it as permission to do something for me, which I never had thought I had, because I was one of those you have to put everybody else first.
1: Mm-hmm. And the other thing you said, Robin, the permissions a really interesting one, and that's like my word for twenty twenty two is to give myself. Permission to do things. So I think it's really important that we feel we have permission. We don't need permission, but sometimes we need to feel we have it. The other thing you said is you'd given all your power away, which I think feeds into the permission piece as well. But where had it gone?
2: Well, I'd given it to other people or institutions, whether they'd received it, it had gone into the ether. But yes, I had abdicated my responsibility and my permissions my power my ability to make my own choices
1: and in a way that's kind of thinking well they have they hold the power almost as opposed to consciously giving it to them
2: oh yeah yeah
1: Yeah, that actually, so all of these people are telling me what to do and I need to fall into line with all of them and their wishes and their commands as opposed to having my own.
2: And always waiting, waiting for somebody to tell me this is okay or this is what you should do or whatever. Never thinking, actually, you have your own brain, you have your own preferences try that out precise you know I was just no I I I have to be told what's allowable this is okay to do this is not okay
1: and in a way it's 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 the systems and I don't want to blame a system because obviously people have made the systems and everything but we do take on a learned helplessness Do We go into work and we think, oh, our boss has all the answers or our manager has all the answers or some other department has all the answers. And we kind of relinquish our own responsibility in that.
2: I think we've done it way before that I mean I follow Gabor Mate I follow Bessel van der Kolk, and they would very much particularly Gabor Mate talks about traumas and there was something on Instagram even the other day saying it all comes back <laughs> I hate the Freudian thing but tell me about your childhood it does it comes back to then for most people because that is where we start to learn I don't have a voice and Gabor talks about shame And he says that shame comes way before we've done anything wrong. So shame is not about, like, there's the difference between guilt and shame. He talks about that guilt is I've done something and, okay, I realize now I shouldn't have done it. So I feel guilty about it. But shame is, no, I feel bad about who I am, not what I've done, but me as a person. And he says that if a parent breaks eye contact with a child, because a child, they need eye contact, they need physical contact, because that is their only way of relating to the world. So if they lose that, they're gonna start off with making a lot of noise and maybe throwing what we call a tantrum, but actually it's just, please, please reconnect with me. I feel lost. And kids and even adults, well, we how much of this is learned and how much we just need connection and we need co-regulation even into adulthood, but a child absolutely can't manage they can't do their own temperature they can't do their heart rate their blood pressure that's why skin to skin is so essential for newborns Uh, so all of that stuff we learn shame from that early age and unfortunately then our system which yes it is people but people are maintaining it because that's the way they've learned so parents parent in the way they've learned to parent And so this carries on. But within homes, within education, shame is used. So you bring up shamed people. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because I'm talking to somebody
1: who grew up in Ireland as well, but the church pops into my head as one that uh, preached shame quite a lot in childhood. And it was very much ingrained in, you know, everything was wrong or bad or not allowed and so
2: on and it adds uh-huh. a whole another dimension to your yeah. upbringing and god was watching and seeing all the things that you did wrong <laughs> as well as santa claus of course but oh yes, <laughs> yes. coming up Christmas, yes you're gonna be on that <laughs> naughty list but
1: it is all of these and they're all opposed to each other as well it was one or the other it could never be and
2: But I always struggle with that because you're telling me that God is love and that God loves me unconditionally. But, you know, if God is watching and is going to be upset with you because you're doing something wrong, I don't understand. Yeah. Well, let's not go down that road because we could be here forever. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not quite ready
1: for the whole discussion about my lapsed Catholic faith at this point, (laughs) but another time. So, you know, in it's a discovery in a way. There's something magical about finding out, well, who am I? <laughs> and what's, what am I here to do and to learn and to be and all of these things that actually, there's joy in that in itself. And I wonder if at times we feel that it's a little self-indulgent or selfish to spend time on ourselves and exploring what's on the inside
2: absolutely and i think there's a couple of things there first of all i think initially when we start off particularly if we've been particularly ingrained in the system then it's not joyful and it's not magical it's scary and i haven't a clue where to start and everybody's talking about being authentic and living with integrity and i don't know how i've had people say to me how how do you be authentic? And the more you try to be authentic, the less authentic you are and the less authentic you feel and the more like a fraud you feel and it's imposter syndrome and it just balloons from there. But I think when we can take it back to the simple, then like you say, it really is magical. There is such that the wonder is in there and the magic and you get a momentum and you don't want to stop. But yes, there's very much a belief or has been, that self-care is selfish and again it's something we're taught as children you shouldn't be boastful and you shouldn't just think about yourself and all these things but i've written a piece before about self-care is actually the best gift we can give not only to ourselves but to everybody around us because we fill our cup we have more to share with others we come as our best self to every situation or at least we're conscious of what we're doing and how we're responding not reacting because we're being conscious so we can take that pause and we can think right? what's how do I want to be in this situation and choose that rather than just knee-jerk reaction which then we sometimes later think oops I wish I hadn't said that Can't can't undo it though can't take it back
1: no and and I suppose that can feel that it was automatic as well. It can feel like, well, there was no other way that person pushed me into it or I had no other choice but to lose my temper there. And and it is a treadmill as such, all of those reactions and everything. It's not just the treadmill of going to work every day, but there's that treadmill of who I am and beating that same path all the time. And sometimes you need to take the diversion or the... The path up the hill, or probably up the hill, down the hill, up the hill, and down the hill by the time you get anywhere. And I suppose, are people surprised then? Because you've said people come to you and say, Look, I don't know how to be out of anything. How am I going to do this? Are people surprised when things start to unfold then, Robin?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think they're surprised at how simple it actually can be. And how much fun it can be because as i say they're quite often coming in thinking this is going to be big and it's going to be painful and it's going to be uncomfortable and i don't really want to do it and i've put it off for so long and then just to be able to see oh it it can be that simple and a little bit sometimes initially it's too simple that can't that can't be right that can't work it's too simple But then I think when people get into it, I've seen people just suddenly like a critical mass or something is achieved and it's just whoosh, off they go. And they sometimes feel like it's really ploddy and slow because there's sometimes foundations to be put in place initially and getting a few things just grounding there and starting to be more conscious, which takes some time if that's not something that people are familiar with or used to practicing because again like you say that going over the same pathway creates pathways in our brain the more we do something the more that becomes habitual the less we think about it the more automatic it kind of is but that's like if you've been walking up and down and up and down and up and down you start to wear a trench and you sink in and if you do it enough you sink in so far you can't see over the side and if you're not being conscious you know if you've managed to get out of it you could easily slip back in because the sides are so steep but if we are conscious then we can get ourselves out and we can oh there's that slippery slope I'm not gonna go back there if I do I know how to get out so yeah I've seen people finding it a bit slow to start off with and then suddenly it's like the penny drops and they can rush forward for a bit and then they hit another bit of a oh right this is some new territory again i'm not sure how to be conscious in this or who i am in this and it just builds from there but it certainly does become more exciting more fun more magical yeah something that you realize it's exploration and it's play it's not hard work and it's not painful it's just every day is a new learning and I, I love learning. So that's, that's a big plus for me.
1: Absolutely. And anyone listening who hasn't started some of this stuff, get going and listen. and look. you. should see Robin. Again, I use the word should, but you know, <laughs> Robin is like al- alive and full of light and full of love, as she talked about herself. And you can see it emanating through the screen. And I'm sitting here nodding and smiling. And <laughs> it's really quite lovely. Now, conscious and consciousness. There's something that you have on your website, a phrase that the last time we spoke, I had never heard before, I think. And that is meta-consciousness. So can you
2: explain what meta-consciousness is, Robin? It's kind of what it says on the tin, meta being overarching. So it's an overarching consciousness, awareness of ourselves of our bodies and how we relate to our inner world and our outer world and this very much relates to what we were talking at the beginning about why we get sick so meta-consciousness gives us that understanding of what is going on in my body when I get sick for me it brings the scientific together with the more spiritual maybe things like Louise Hay and her book you can heal your life you can heal your body where she talks about if I have a a problem with my knee what does that mean what is the deeper meaning behind that Meta consciousness puts in the scientific reasoning behind that but i love when spiritual and stuff has come to the well has known all along these things that science has maybe poo-pooed for a while but is now having to go yes that is that's true that is real that is what's going on But we just didn't have ways of measuring it or quantifying it or calibrating it back when we only just started to do the scientific stuff, but neither coming together. And I love that the scientific world and the spiritual world are realizing we've just come to the same point by a different direction. That's all it is, because it's all the same stuff. The world is all made of the same stuff. It's all just vibration. Whatever way you want to look at it. But metaconsciousness is the scientific way of explaining what we've known intuitively. Well, you know, most people, if, if we really dive deep, we've known this intuitively for many years. Mm. And, and
1: our ancestors would have practiced this intuitively. Exactly. And I guess medicine and science has done a lot for us because it's <laughs> extended for the most part, you know, when we get sick when we're younger with some diseases or with heart issues or whatever it might be science has helped us to break those barriers and to recover in a way and that maybe spiritual wouldn't have been able to or I don't know actually I don't know so I won't say that but certainly (laughs) it hasn't been shown yet but we went too far one way almost by by wanting everything to be scientifically proven and often with science all it's doing is it's it's disproving things that don't work as well it's not always just proving that this is the only way
2: and that's how science how research works you disprove something to narrow it down to well then that must be the case and it baffles me sometimes that scientists say You must have peer-reviewed journal publications, et cetera, to be within the established body of knowledge. But if it's peer-reviewed, in a sense, you're talking to the converted. And of course, they're going to agree. There's a conflict of interest there. And there's lots of research in other areas, homeopathy, for example, that scientists dismiss. But why is that any less relevant if you've shown in Trials, okay, they're not clinical trials, but they're trials, and they're possibly clinical trials in the homeopathic world. Just because your view is different, so yeah, I have a bit of tension around that because I think there's a place for both, and I I think it's unfortunate that we went so far down the Newtonian, like you say, we maybe went too far in some ways because we've forgotten, like Bessel Vanderkolk talks about that knee that we're looking at is part of a body that lives in a situation that has grown up through a certain set of experiences and goes to work or whatever that body is doing, all of that impacts on that knee. So I think if we could bring back a little bit more of that awareness, I think that would really benefit everything.
1: And, and I suppose we are, it's possible the. That the circles that we travel in or the literature that we read, whatever it is, is saying the stuff that we want to hear as well. I know I could go on Twitter and I could find exactly the opposite to there's probably a podcast out there where they're giving out about us talking about
2: this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Black is uh, black. White is black. You can find proof for either probably.
1: Exactly. But I suppose for me I think about staying curious. Mm and even what you say about wonder, I mean, just having that cultivating that sense of curiosity, openness, wonder, and not dismissing, not just the little things that we talked about earlier, but dismissing everything, you know, and, and you don't know, none of us really know (laughs) we're doing our best to figure stuff out and what works for you or me might not work for somebody else as well. And if you're not, looking searching seeking you're never going to find
2: and that's what I love about Gabor Mate's work and I've just joined his compassionate inquiry uh teaching I've just signed up for that because I love his way of yes questioning staying curious which is part of my wonder and always asking always the beginner's mind like the child why is the sky blue what's a rainbow why does rain fall out of the sky where does wind come from what are tides all these questions just keep asking why do we get sick why am i sick there in that part of my body why would this sickness why now why do you have two people who've maybe apparently on the outside look like they've been through the same situation and grown up maybe in a family together siblings and they've been through similar trauma, but their presentation is very, very different.
1: Mm, because we're all uniquely us. Exactly.
2: <laughs> Which is just, I mean, it
1: just blows my mind every time I think about it. The fact that there are whatever, six billion of us on the planet. I can't remember what the number is, but something like that. And we're... Every one of us is different. Our brains are slightly different. Our insides, our makeup, our fingerprints. It's so fascinating. It's mind-blowing. And and there's something so precious
2: about that. And I love, you know, you can take it on the macro. You can take it on the micro. You can go down to the quantum physics level. It blows your mind at every level. And I love that. I think it's so fabulous that it is so mind-boggling that we can't with our rational brains we can't hold it and yet our bodies can every single cell every single atom can if you think of the holographic concept of the universe it's all within all of it and wow there's wonder right there there's wonder right there
1: and i'm wondering how we got to the end of this recording so quickly as well yeah Yeah. there's wonder right there time flies when you're enjoying yourself that's how it really does and i hope people have remained with us and are still interested to hear more because if they are robin how can they connect with you
2: I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Instagram, I'm on YouTube. I've just got my YouTube handle because they're doing that now. All as Equenergy, E-Q-U-E-N-E-R-G-Y. Also on Facebook. And I have a Facebook group called Wild Wisdom Wellbeing. And people are welcome. You need to ask to join its private group. People can come along. If they like it, stay. You're most welcome. If it's not for you, that's absolutely fine. You can head off. And again, and not say. So, yeah, no, no problem there.
1: Brilliant. And I will put those details in the show notes as well, Robin. And I'll add in your website as well so yes. that people can find you. And that's been just like, a wild (laughs) have been a bit of a dance there's been some love some possibly some intuition in the questioning as well and wondered throughout so thank you Robin for coming on the show
2: thank you so much Susan it's been a wonderful opportunity to share a little bit of what I love but also to chat with you and I've just loved it thank you
0: You're most welcome. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the paths we traversed on today's episode. If something rang through for you, be sure to let me know. Or maybe you can share this with someone in your life who would benefit from listening too. And if you enjoy helping others, I'd be so grateful if you would leave a review so that people who might also be curious about their own life beyond the numbers can discover this podcast too.